Hey, podcast peeps. Um, this is a, 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 a pro, prologue to this week's YNR chat. Um, I'm actually, at this moment, about halfway done with recording, and I just realized that my microphone is not, is, it was not picking up correctly. All of the audio got picked up through the wrong microphone, and I have a feeling that the quality might be a little bit rough for about the first 25 minutes. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Um, I'm going to do my best to master it uh, and, and make it sound uh, passable, but uh, shoot, I feel bad. Um, if you can bear with the first 25 minutes, it was just like I said so much. I don't want to have to go back and re-say everything. Um, I'll do I'll do the best I can to get the quality as, as, as good as I can, but just a heads up that the first 20 minutes is going to be a little rough. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, May 10th, 2015. Happy Mother's Day! So this week, Kelly unties one of Jack's hands from the bed and gives him a pen because she wants him to write her a love letter, as one does <laughs> when they're holding a, 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 someone hostage tied to a bed, trying to force uh, him to have affection for her. And uh, here's the thing, here's my question, Jack. If Kelly freed one of your hands, why didn't you use the free hand to untie the other hand. Instead, he writes her this disgusting love letter, which was clearly about Phyllis. It was clearly him writing a love letter to Phyllis. And she turns around, of course, she turns her back on him to, to read it and to just um, rejoice in all of the wonderful words that he's saying just for her. And he keeps the pen, <laughs> kind of stashes that away under the blankets. And then as she turns around and, and goes to embrace him for, uh, with, with the, for, for this romantic gesture, he takes the pen and stabs her in the neck with it. I, I, I can... Like, that's the plan? <laughs> I understand, Jack, you're thirsty, you're hungry, you're probably, I mean, you're sleep-deprived, you're uncomfortable, there's a lot of, a lot of things, your life, you got a lot going on right now, Jack, but you couldn't come up with anything better than, I'm just gonna stab her in the neck? Then what? What comes after that? What's your big plan? I mean, she, she's bleeding, from her neck, he probably got her in like it, like a like the judo chop, uh, <laughs> the Vulcan the death grip area of the neck, and she's bleeding profusely and just laughing at him, saying, "Why would you do this? If you kill me, if something happens to me, we both die. I'm the I'm the only one who knows where you are." And it's it just I think he realized in that moment that maybe it was not the best plan. <laughs> that he could have come up with. I mean, really, if he ever wants to get out of this bed, he's going to have to slowly uh, gain trust with her and get her to untie him and unfree him and get him to, you know, let her think that he's not going to leave and then, you know, get untied and then leave, then overpower her, uh, then, you know, run out the door screaming and calling for the cops. Uh, but, ugh, man, um, instead of that, 
Kelly's like over in the corner bleeding so much that she's passed out and Jack reaches for her handbag which has been tossed on the bed and he's able to find a phone which again Jack if you're playing the long game rather than stashing the pen under the covers maybe you could have gone for that bag got the phone out then stashed the phone under the bed made a strategic phone call when Kelly wasn't looking but no uh, he's, he's able to get the phone out and make a, a phone call <laughs> wherever they are they've got great cell reception he's just able to, to dial direct to Kyle's cell phone uh, in Genoa City. Well, Kyle is off joyriding in Jack's, uh, fake Jack's, new red flashy Ferrari when uh, uh, they're, they're so like, uh, you know, involved in the car and, and going fast and, and being manly men there that it's fake Jack who picks up the phone call, picks up Kyle's phone when real Jack is calling. And there's this weird moment where Jack's made a phone call to himself where it's his voice on the other end. Both men are completely stunned. Uh, neither was expecting that twist, that turn of events. And of course, the next thing we see is uh, screech and, and fake Jack and Kyle are skewing off the road. I'm telling you, anytime there's a car scene, <laughs> anytime there's a car scene, something bad is going to happen. And I, last week, was talking about how much I wanted to see the car. You know, you can't tell us that he got a, 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 a like $400,000 vehicle and then not give us some indication of it. And so I was happy to see just for us a few, you know, like 20 seconds seeing the Ferrari uh, right before it crashed. So uh, Kyle and Fake Jack are in this crash. Real Jack has heard that there was a crash on the other end. And so the next call that he makes is to the police, which, I don't know, maybe would have been my first call? I don't know. But he, uh, Real Jack, uh, while Kelly is still passed out, is able to call the police. While Kelly recovers, comes to consciousness, just as these two police officers are busting into this little shack where they are and it starts to become apparent real quick that the cops are not on Jack's side, which makes no sense. I don't know why. I mean, the cops are coming in with guns drawn. Why would you be pointing your gun at the man who's tied to the bed and uh, not the crazy lady over in the corner? I guess maybe because she's bleeding. I don't know. But it starts to become uh, revealed that there's some sort of cover story that uh, Kelly has created here because uh, the cops want to haul Jack off to jail uh, for I don't know what reason, I guess for stabbing her. And she tells them, no, um, you know, he, he's not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. He's my patient. Um, so, like, I don't know what, how on earth she's worked this out. I don't know if this is some sort of scheme that Victor, well, obviously, has helped 
to uh, create here, but I mean, uh, th that made me think, are they, <laughs> like the two cops had what seemed to me like maybe a Jamaican accent, and it seems like we're hearing a lot of breezes and oceans rolling in the background of these scenes, so I guess they're on some tropical island somewhere, which by the way surprises me, because I fully was ready to accept that Jack uh, and Kelly were both on the ranch property or on the Abbott property or somewhere right underneath everyone's nose, uh, but apparently not. Um, and Kelly had some kind of cover story, like she's a nurse and uh, Jack is her patient, and so it's okay for her to keep him tied to the bed. I mean, Jack is telling the cops she's mean to me. I'm, I'm, you know, she's, she's. I'm deprived. I haven't been given food and water, and I need assistance. And they just don't care. They're completely on Kelly's side, and she almost seemed to have some kind of weird control over them, like she was the boss, which makes me think Victor must have created some larger cover story, or he owns the police there, or has paid them off, or something, I don't know, uh, but unfortunately, Jack's best laid plan really, truly did not work out in his favor, because now all he knows is that his son has been in an accident, and none of this has worked out for him. He's not free. Calling the cops didn't help him. In fact, um, at the very end of where we saw the real Jack for the week, uh, Kelly was asking the two officers to help her with a little project for, you know, her patient. And the next scene we see, Jack is now in the bed, worse off than before. He's sitting there in a straight jacket. And the look on his face was miserable like they roughed him up and he like he put up a fight he was red in the face and now he's stuck in a straight jacket so i don't know how he's gonna get out of that now he's only got his legs i don't know i really truly don't know i'm so confused by this whole thing um back in genoa city there was this car accident kyle and jeff fake jack are both rushed to the hospital, and I guess here's where it kind of gets more interesting for me. Fake Jack, I'm assuming, what I'm assuming is fake Jack, unless there was a switcheroo inside of the switcheroo, uh, fake Jack has uh, been hit on the head. Kyle's fine, but fake Jack has been hit on the head in the same, <laughs> happened to be in the same spot that he uh, got hit on the head during the underground collapse, and he comes to just for a little bit, sees Phyllis there, and the first words out of his mouth are, Victor, and then everything else we saw of him in the hospital was just wide-eyed, confused, everybody in the family is worried about him, and he's just like, he's, he's starting to have a seizure, he's so overwhelmed, and the doctors have to induce a coma, another coma. Um, and I don't know what any of that means. I mean, the look on his face seemed almost like, I, I don't know, could he have experienced some kind of memory loss? Is this, is putting fake Jack in a coma now going to be uh, the, the way to get rid of this guy and get him off the scene for a while? I'm, I'm not sure what it means about this bonk on the head, but it's the perfect scenario for Victor, really, because now Jack is out of the way, and Jabot is all his with no obstacles. Almost.
Um, apparently, Victor went through the whole process of bringing in this double and uh, getting the double to act on Jack's behalf to, uh, to, 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 to move forward with the merger of Newman and Jabot, yet he didn't manage to get the final... <laughs> signature from Jack? I don't know. I don't know what, why, what? I mean, surely, in addition to looking exactly like Jack, fake Jack wasn't necessarily uh, uh, an expert uh, signature forger. So I don't understand. I don't get, I don't understand. I guess Victor had to create this sort of elaborate scenario um, in order to get Jack's signature on the merger document. I don't know why it's coming up now. It's weird. Like, I would have thought that would have been one of the first things Victor would have taken care of, but apparently not. And I guess he's sort of involving other people in this as a way to cover it up because he decided to confide in Neil. And let me tell you... <laughs> Hallelujah, Neil Winters got a haircut and a shave. He looked so good this week. I was shocked. That was like the shocking moment of the week. I almost forgot that man had a face. It was starting to just become overtaken, overgrown by hair. So it was actually good to see his face. But now Victor's dragging Neil into this whole mess, too. And he's trying to make it sound like it's, it's all innocent. Oh, oopsie, forgot to get Jack's signature on this document, and now he's in a coma. So I'm going to need you to help me get someone else to forge the signature. Again, it's not even necessary to have Neil. I don't know why Victor brought Neil into this at all. He could have just got the signature forged. Um, uh, and, and, and meanwhile, as a matter of fact, while we're talking about conveniences, at the exact same time, Billy and Ashley are worried about their brother, but they're also wondering where this contract is. I would probably ask to see the contract when all of this was going down at first, but now it's how many weeks later. I mean, Billy's been fired, Ashley's been stomped on, and all of a sudden they want to see the contract. So it's kind of funny how that all works out at <laughs> exactly the right time. Um, Ashley is working Phyllis and Kyle to try to get a hand, uh, get our hands on these these contracts. Um, Billy is working on Victoria to see if she knows anything about these contracts. And by the way, if Billy is able to plant a seed of doubt with Victoria about the contract or the validity the validity of this entire merger arrangement, Victoria could certainly be the one to blow this whole thing wide open. But then there's Nikki. And as if Victor could not sink any lower, he, ugh, he creates a scenario where he and Neil kind of double-team Nikki and trick her into signing this merger document as a witness. And Nikki's so she just is so trusting, and she shouldn't. At, at this point, she should know better than to even let her husband talk her into this. But they sort of lull her in and say, oh, we thought that you would be a good third-party witness. Uh, and Nikki's like, gee, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know if I should sign a document as a witness when I didn't really witness anything. But she just goes along with it anyway. It's like a, a whole, whole new low for Victor manipulating her trust, using her trust to force her into doing something immoral and illegal.
legal. Then again, what's new? And I'll, I'll further it again. I don't I completely understand why he would even need that. If he's, in a, if he's in the business of forging signatures, why not just forge somebody else's signature as the witness? Why not just get some other unscrupulous person to say, oh, yeah, I was there and signed the document. You could get somebody else to lie. It didn't have to be Nikki. I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe you guys can explain that to me. Maybe I'm missing it, but it just, the whole thing seemed completely unnecessary and like um, overly convenient. I, or, or I don't know. I guess this is the only hope that the Abbots have for getting their, their, their company back and and for crying out loud, uh, Ashley and Billy are chasing their tails looking for this contract. And the very first time they come into contact with Victor since then, since since this whole contract thing even came to light, Victor happens to have a copy of it in his jacket pocket, signed, sealed, delivered, hands it over to Ashley to take a look at. Uh, her and uh, Ashley and Billy are looking at the contract, uh, flip, of course, to the last page, and Billy proclaims right there in front of Victor and Victoria and Ashley, uh, yeah, this contract's not valid. That's not Jack's signature. Uh, you can recognize that that's not Jack's signature, but you can't recognize that that's not Jack? Lionar does seem to be moving along at kind of a breakneck speed. It's sort of plot point, plot point, plot point, and there just really is not a whole lot of character in between. There was not a lot of resolution on the end of Billy and Chelsea's relationship. I mean, you have to admit, it was sort of here one day, big dramatic explosion, which I, of course, enjoyed, but then gone the next. There was, like, one scene of Billy going through the apartment, picking up his things, saying goodbye to Connor, which, by the way, I think is, it really does not make him look good. You don't go from, I'm, to I'm your daddy, kid, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, come, I'm gonna li you know, live with your mom, I'm gonna take on this child as if it was my own flesh and blood, and then you break up with the mother, and all of a sudden it's, Sorry, probably won't be seeing you again for a while. It's, that's not that's not responsible. That's not the kind of commitment you would even be making. I would assume that Billy and Chelsea would have had conversations about Billy adopting Connor, uh, and, and it would have had to have been okay with her that Connor was calling him daddy, and now all of a sudden, Billy's just stepping away from them. He had one conversation with Chelsea, uh, getting in like one good jab at her, like, yeah, this was just one long con, and then walks out. I mean, not really any resolution on, um, or, or, or even any mourning of the relationship that Billy and Chelsea had. I, I mean, uh, Adam came in after um, Billy was kind of saying goodbye to Connor, and uh, Adam made some kind of comment about how uh, you were never Connor's father, you were just always really just a stand-in, and Billy punches Adam, of course, yet again. I think, didn't he punch him last week or something? I don't know. That punch was coming. Billy's getting in a lot of punches, but I mean, on, uh, you know, in some ways, it's just kind of true, like, uh, sorry, uh, he, that's not what a father, if you really felt that way about Connor, you wouldn't just walk away, so I don't think any of this is making Billy look good, it was entertaining, it's been entertaining for me as a viewer, but I think Billy's 
uh, coming off really poorly in all of this. It's certainly making Chelsea look more like the victim. Uh, it's also making Victoria, this whole thing is making Victoria look like uh, a villain, the thing that's going on, the things that are going on at Chabot. Um, and I, I really have enjoyed um, not only seeing Victoria versus Ashley, but this week it was really cool to see Victoria versus Chelsea because Victor went to Chelsea after having quit, she quit working at Chabot last week. And Victor comes back to her and convinces her to work at Jabot again under the uh, assumption that she's going to have complete cont creative control. You know, Victoria's not going to tell her how to design, what she, you know, how to create her designs. Uh, Chelsea has, for some reason, been given kind of a, a golden path. I mean, I don't know why... Victor is giving all of this um, creative freedom to Chelsea, but then he really does treat Ashley like she's a second-class citizen. For some reason, Chelsea's safe, uh, but Victor prances Chelsea back into Victoria's, well, quote-unquote, Victoria's lab office now. And uh, it was just kind of funny because Victor announced that Chelsea was coming back to work at Jabot and that she was going to have creative control. And it, the, it was so funny because the look on Victoria's face was so miffed. She did not want Chelsea there, and you could tell she was gritting her teeth at her father's decision, and that if it wasn't, like, the one person who tells her what to do, then she would have th thrown a fit. She knows that no matter what, she can have control over everybody else in that building except for Victor, so she completely deferred to Daddy on that one and just said, if you think it's best, and allows Chelsea back in, but then as soon as Victor leaves, Victoria is picking away at Chelsea. Uh, I mean, she knows what just happened between Chelsea and Billy. She's already heard that the wedding didn't end up happening. And not only that, but she doesn't like that, Victoria doesn't like that she's just been one-upped. So Victoria starts criticizing Chelsea's designs, and she said something like, um, those cutesy designs might work for the girls around the office, but I would never wear them. <laughs> that was so good. Chelsea just looked her dead in the face and said, uh, I didn't realize I was designing for you. It was such a good, good um, rivalry that I think is developing there. And it's, it's, it's one good, another good thing that's come out of Billy and Chelsea's breakup uh, because uh, Victoria said something like, oh, are you going to quit then? And Chelsea just said, I wouldn't give you the satisfaction. And she turned around and walked out the door. I'm loving it. I think that's, um, I just, I, I do like Victoria. She's not looking good. Uh, she, she definitely is coming off um, like a witch, but I'm, I just, for entertainment purposes, am enjoying it. Uh, and Billy too. He's not coming off good, but I, I, I have been finding him very entertaining. Um, Billy and Victoria are kind of back to doing their dance. Victoria did not take the opportunity uh, after, you know, this is, this is the other thing. Victoria and Billy had a brief chat at the coffee house, I think right after he got back from saying goodbye to Connor, and Victoria said something to him uh, to the effect of, well, you still have two other kids at my house. And it just seems so cold that Connor's just out of his life now and out of the picture. I guess maybe Billy and Victoria will be two happy little peas in a pod. But Victoria did not at first take the opportunity to tell Billy 
that she had broken up with Stitch. And just, I have to make a little side note here to say, Abby and Stitch, I, I just, I don't care. I'd love to hear from somebody uh, who is liking the Abby and Stitch thing. Of course, I don't mind hearing from people who don't. I, either way, I just, I'm so blah about Abby and Stitch. It does absolutely nothing to, for me. Um, I, th I feel like there could be potential with the mother-daughter-Stitch triangle if we got Ashley up in there, and Ashley's clearly not happy about their relationship, but at the same time, I, it's just the actress who plays Abby, she's mild, I mean, she's entertaining a little bit in sort of a surface way, but I don't feel anything for her, and therefore don't really feel anything about uh, her relationship with Stitch, and furthermore, it's just all happened so fast, I don't feel like there was a whole lot of build, or maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but this week, Abby got all upset, uh, like, at Stitch, I'm like, who cares, you're upset, that Stitch might not, you know, at the, at the notion that Stitch might not feel the same way as you. You've been dating him for, like, three scenes. And now, all of a sudden, you're um, paranoid that your relationship isn't deeper, isn't more meaningful. Ugh, I'm just over it. I'm sure that if I really wanted to dig into the character of Abby, I could get into it. I know that she's had a long history of romantic fails, and maybe, um... I don't know, maybe she just didn't want to fail again, but I just, I'm not feeling it. You guys let me know what you're thinking about that, but um, Billy and Victoria are a couple that I'm feeling, and sort of the cold, that coldness, um, and maybe even seeing this more conniving side of Billy almost likes, makes me like them more. Uh, later, when Billy goes to talk to Victoria about finding the contract, the merger contract, she does tell him, finally, that she's broken up with Stitch, and there's this moment of both of them realizing that they're single again, but shoot, I was thinking at the beginning of the week, did Billy and Victoria realize that they're back together yet? Because they are. Y&R <laughs> had a perfect opportunity to, to rebuild the underground and it's the big underground opening night and the big reveal is that it, it looks exactly the same as before. Really? I mean, why would, they why would they go to the trouble of collapsing the entire place and not take the opportunity to redecorate that awful, awful set? I mean, everybody in Genoa City seemed really impressed at how much it looks exactly like the old underground, and I was just appalled. I'm thinking, why? Why would they miss that, this opportunity? It cannot be an ideal set. I don't know if it was a budget thing or what, but I'm absolutely dashed that we're getting the underground back. I thought that was the end of it, and I was glad. Um, I don't know why they would take it in that direction, and for that matter, I don't know why Sage would continue to work there after what happened with Nick last week. She can get another bar job anywhere. I would be so out of that joint. I'd be out of there. I'd be out of Nick's life. I'd be like, sorry, man. And then this week at the big old opening, Nick was, he, he basically broke up with her last week. And now he's being all charming to her and saying, you know what? Let's not, uh, let's wait and see what happens. We'll see where we are. What's up with that, Nick? Make up your mind.
blah, 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 timestamp, blah, 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 another police station, hacking, blah, 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 Austin's computer stolen. I don't care about this storyline at all. I officially, I just, I don't, the, mur- the whole murder thing, I'm completely distanced from it. If I, I'm telling you, if I was not a dyed-in-the-wool, born-and-bred, young-and-the-restless fan, I would be fast-forwarding this entire thing. It actually pains me to have to talk about it at all, and I don't want to feel this way, uh, I, I, but I'm, I, it's just, it's not appealing to me. It's all, I just feel like we're constantly chasing our tails, and I'm just not into it, but... <laughs> I'm gonna keep going because I tell you if, if, if I'm on I'm, I'm on this ship and if the ship's going down I'm I'm, I'm staying on I'm going down with the ship <laughs> I will watch every scene when our ever airs until the day it stops airing it <laughs> so uh, here we go uh, Sharon <laughs> loses her mind uh, after learning that the whole about the whole timestamp thing she decides that she's innocent she realizes that she uh, is being set up and she likes she decides to take this opportunity to break her house arrest and you know leave the house and go to the underground Sharon's arrival at the big underground uh, reopening was like it was as if she was triumphantly kicking down the doors and showing everybody in Genoa City exactly who she was and telling them all off. She just walks up to the bar and says, what's a girl got to do to get a Chardonnay around here? What's the big deal? You know, what, what? It's just me. I'm obviously innocent. It was so weird and out of character. And I thought, whoa, I mean, I'd rather Sharon... You know, I want to see Sharon big and bold and telling these people off, but there was, it was, the whole thing was so unstable. I didn't know where it was coming from. Why would, you know, I don't even know what she, why on earth she would have thought this would have been okay. Immediately, Victor calls the cops, says there's a fugitive here. I mean, she is on house arrest for a double murder and she just thinks she can waltz into the club. House arrest doesn't disappear just because you think you're innocent and the charges should be dropped. So she gets arrested, hauled down to the police station, and she's freaking out. I think she had Mariah and maybe Kevin and Noah in the in the interrogation room with her, and I love that she was panicking so much. She said, I, I know what I'll do. I'll go to the bathroom. They have windows. That's how I got out last time. <laughs> I love that Y&R brought that back up uh, because this isn't the first time Sharon's been arrested, not the first time she's broken out. Uh, so it's clear that Wyanor's done their homework here. I don't know if they've got a focus group of fans going on or something behind the scenes, but I, I even though I tell you, it, sometimes watching these scenes is real, real hard for me. I do at least appreciate that they are, that they've done their research and they're throwing in little, uh, little Easter eggs for us viewers that have uh, been with the show for a long time. Um, so uh, somehow, uh, in the middle of this, I don't know, I think it was maybe Mariah or somebody said, uh, have you taken your meds today? And she realizes, oh, 
maybe I haven't taken my meds. So she pops the pill and all of a sudden everything starts to look a whole lot clearer and she magically transforms from unstable Sharon into completely rational and lucid and able to take care of herself, Sharon. I, I guess... Okay, there's two reasons I hate the storyline, and I think one of them is because of the big mystery that it feels like is never going to be solved, and it's probably not even really a mystery anyway. Um, but then there is the whole... I think I think probably the turning point for me was when Sharon got all caught up in this mess. Um, it's just... I, I kind of feel like Sharon's character, is. it just ends up getting used, and I'm... I'm I'm tired of the whole bipolar thing being used as an excuse to make her a crazy, in quotes, character. I would rather... It's kind of disrespectful, don't you think, to anyone who has bipolar disorder. That's, that's not like a made-up uh, thing that, 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 that doesn't affect people. A lot of people have it. I mean, there are a, a large portion... There's probably a fair population... A portion of the population who is on MAOIs uh, for depression and other serious mental illnesses, and then YNR just uses it as a, a vehicle to, to give us a crazy character. Look, if you want to make Sharon a crazy character, that's one thing. I can kind of deal with that a little bit more, but the but using uh, like that she has a mental illness as a way to make her a crazy character doesn't make sense to me. And for furthermore, I don't I don't really want Sharon to be a crazy character. I'm okay. I would rather Sharon was sure of herself. Even if she was doing bad things, that's fine. I I don't want her to just be a boring little housewife sitting there uh, twiddling her thumbs. That's no fun to watch. But I would like her to own it. I would like her to own herself. And maybe if she's going to do wacky things, at least, you know, understand that she's doing them, not try to make excuses for them, and maybe be a little more intentional, a la Phyllis or any of the other female villainesses we've had. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't even necessarily want to see her as a villainess. Um, it's, it's just annoying to me how quickly the switch flipped from I'm nuts going out in public and what's the problem? I'll have a glass of wine over to um, uh, having a conversation with Christine that ultimately got the charges dropped against her. She sits down and has a completely lucid conversation with Christine and says to her, look, I, I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a murderer. And then boom, <laughs> that just worked. <laughs> if only everyone could just go, hey, I didn't do it. And then boom, charges dropped. So whatever that took us through she's done she's she's she, Sharon is absolved she's completely off the hook they're filing the paperwork and getting her out she's no longer a suspect in Austin's murder that took us through about what three to four weeks of this torturous story so hey YNR who's the next suspect who's the next person you're going to point the finger at uh, 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 and say, oh, yeah, it must be, you know, because first it was Summer, then it was Kyle, then it was Finn, or, you know, and then it was Stitch, uh, and then it was Sharon. Who's the next suspect until we find out that Austin's really still alive? I'm grumpy today. <laughs> 
I'll try to pick it up. Um, I mean, the storylines are not happy, happy. Even the things that should be happy, happy are not that happy, happy. Dylan uh, pays a visit to Avery this week in Chicago at Joe's facility, and Avery is all in with Joe's recovery. She is coaching him. She's giving him encouragement. She's even staying at the facility now. There's open rooms that have opened up for family and loved ones. She's not like even staying at a hotel anymore. She's completely immersed herself in Joe's recovery and she's never more than five steps away from her, him and Dylan didn't know this he's coming to Chicago to surprise her to maybe work on their relationship a little bit and he's discovering that she's very very close with Joe and they end up having an argument because of course Dylan thinks that Joe is taking advantage of Avery and it's understandable given what uh, Joe did in the months uh, that led up to his accident but I really don't think at this point Joe is trying to take advantage of Avery and that's not to say that he won't in the future but right now even though these scenes again they seem a little cheesy to me him you know over the bar and uh, uh, trying to walk trying to learn to walk again is <laughs> cheesy to me uh, but I think that the character's struggle is real, and I think the character's aim is true. I don't think he's trying to come in between uh, Dylan and Avery. In fact, we're seeing him making real efforts to push Avery away and send her back to Dylan, and unfortunately, the damage is either done. I, I personally don't think that either Avery or Dylan are 100% responsible for their relationship, which is as good as dead. It's falling apart. Uh, we all, as the viewers, know it. And, you know, why did it take so long for Dylan and Avery's relationship to fall apart, and then Billy and Chelsea were done in two days? It seems like Wyanor is dragging out the parts of the story that I'm not enjoying, and uh, they are blasting through the the little things that would would that really would interest me. I don't get it. Um, I think Avery and Dylan could just be done by now. I don't think we need to continue to beat it with a stick. They've both played their part in the relationship falling apart. But then there's Sharon's little trick. Dylan returns from this meeting with Avery, this argument with Avery, finds out that Sharon's busted out of the house and she is, um, let me look at something, that she's busted out of the house and that she's gone to the other underground and that she's gotten arrested and of course he has to ride into her rescue and uh, find out how she is, find out what's going on. He's, you know, he's right there helping her. He's right there with her when she finds out that she, uh, that the charges has been dropped and actually I think it was a scene before that D yeah Dylan had stepped out of the room and Sharon found his phone sitting on the table and it was a text message coming through from Avery saying sorry we fought let's give it another try and Sharon picks up the phone and said something about uh, you helped me, now I'm going to help you. And she sends this really cold message to Avery from Dylan's phone saying something about, you made your choice, or you, well, you made your choice, or finish what you started, and so will I. 
It's not a thing that doesn't even sound like what Dylan would say. Dylan is trying, trying, trying to save this relationship. I can't imagine him being that cold. But Sharon sends this message from uh, Dylan's phone. And then he comes back into the room and tells her, you did it. You got the charges dropped. And they're both so overjoyed about her being released. And then next thing you know, they're kissing. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think that Sharon and Dylan would make a good couple, and I thought that their kiss was kind of nice. It was really slow, and they both pulled away and were completely stunned afterwards. And I thought it worked. I mean, these are both two uh, actors who've been in soaps for a long... I mean, they've been... I, I think it's a natural trend, a natural couple, too. Both uh, the actor who plays Dylan and the actress who plays Sharon have been on soaps since they were so much younger. I mean, they started... This is their... You know, this is their industry. They've kind of grown up on the screen, and I think there's also sort of a natural rapport there. Uh, and I think that they would make a really dynamic couple in, a like, a really powerful way. I mean, think about the big relationships that Sharon's had in her life. Nick, Adam, Dylan could be number three, and I think I could buy it. I really think I could be all in for Sharon and Dylan, but I don't know why everything with Sharon has to be a trick or a manipulation now. When did that happen? Why does it have to be that way? I'm trying to think of, I, I want to say it was Gary. Somebody left a, a voicemail comment shoot, I'm not sure who it was, but um, the the essence of, of this comment that I'm trying to think of was someone was saying, um, I thought we were supposed to be in the process of rehabilitating Sharon's character. She's gone through all of this crazy stuff. Uh, she's just now getting off the hook for this murder. And just as all of that's getting washed away, this whole manipulation with the text message and Avery. And I, I just keep thinking about that. I, I've, I'm starting to feel like the whole we're supposed to be rehabilitating Sharon thing is just your and my feeling about it. It's just the fans who, it's just the Sharon fans, of which I consider myself one, who are like wanting Sharon to get back to a stable, strong place, and that Y&R apparently has no intention of rehabilitating Sharon. They have, apparently, that is not the plan. The plan is to continue to make Sharon crazy, and it ticks me off. It really does. I, I, it ticks me off on multiple levels, like with the murder thing and with the relationship thing. I genuinely feel like I could have enjoyed this romance with Sharon and Dylan a lot more if Weiner didn't have to throw a big old lie into the middle of it. Again, YNR is dragging out <laughs> the parts of the story that are driving me crazy and that are not interesting, and they are skipping right over major stories. Michael and Lauren being separated should be the biggest storyline on YNR, and it's not. It's like the thing I'm talking about last for the last several weeks. It's barely been there. They just gave us Michael's cancer, and then he pops up once a week for a couple of scenes to follow up on. 
on it. And it's starting to become clear that they were giving Michael cancer, not because, you know, as we had all theorized, oh no, are they going to get rid of the characters? Is the character going to die? You know, are they doing this to, to give uh, Lauren and Michael something to fight together? Because they're a popular character. No, it seems to be about pulling Michael and Lauren apart. And I don't even know why. I don't even know why it's happening. I mean, I, honestly, I think this week I feel more enlightened about where Michael's coming from than I have for the past two, three months of this whole story. I about lost my freaking mind. <sighs> I mean, my, I was, my jaw dropped. I'm yelling at the screen going, oh, no, no. When Michael hired a prostitute, I just about, I couldn't, I could not believe it. I was like, what? Michael and Lauren are, like, he's straight up leaving her. He's staying at the club now. Next thing I know, there's a prostitute knocking on this man's door. I just about lost my freaking mind. And the, the first scenes that they had together, like the first, you know, whatever, three minutes where... They're kind of negotiating the terms of what's about to happen. And uh, she's telling Michael to unzip her dress. I felt dirty. I felt icky and sticky and disgusted and like, what is happening here? It was shocking. Um, and I mean, I guess like I, I'm like, I don't even know this man right now. Thank God he didn't go through with it. Uh, what ended up happening <laughs> so weird. Michael's sitting on the bed with this prostitute and, he, you know, she's asking him about what his desires are and he starts to open up about what his desires are and where you think it's going to be something sexual. He just starts going on and on about his desire being his wife, his desire being uh, in, in making love to her all night long and waking up in the morning and, and, and smelling her hair and seeing the curve of her hip and it was beautifully written it was the most beautiful uh speech it just and it was delivered so incredibly and I was completely connected uh with the character in that moment and I felt so uh so much heartache that he that he feels more comfortable having this conversation with a prostitute than with his own wife and he's just so ready to sacrifice himself he yeah and I and I I I understood I don't agree with but I understood in that moment that he is just trying to give them give his family give Lauren give Fen the life that he wants for him for them excuse me and he thinks if he removes himself from the situation then they'll all eventually go on to be happy without him and Look, I understand, Michael, that you're depressed, but but you're giving up. He's just giving up his life. He's giving up his life. He's giving up on his relationship, and it does make me so mad at him. And I, it's it's also making me feel resentful of this storyline where uh, there's an implication that Lauren and Kane are going to have an affair now. Yes, I think there's some chemistry there and it could be interesting to watch, but not under these circumstances. I mean, what the whole this whole thing that's going on is making me uh way I've turned to the other side of not wanting this Lauren Kane affair to happen. I certainly hope it doesn't. Um 
Kane is for some, you know, he's Lauren's world is rocked. Kane is there trying to comfort her, and Lily's trying to understand. She even said something to him, like, you know, you go ahead, you help Lauren, work comes first. Well, since when does work come first in their relationship especially? They're all about family first. So it's it's tearing apart Lillian Kane's relationship. It's tearing Lauren apart. It's tearing, it's tearing everyone apart all because Michael can't get it up anymore. I mean, I'm sorry, but intimacy and sex are not the same thing. And when the prostitute was pressing him for what his desires are and he was giving that beautiful speech, half of the things, in fact, more than half of the things that he was listing as his desires were not sex. So what makes you think that you can't wake up next to Lauren and smell her hair and hold her and be with her, especially when she's done nothing but offer herself and try to be there for him? And even as he's pushing her away, she's coming back. And if Lauren just turns around and decides to just have an affair with Kane, I'm going to be so disappointed. I'm going to be disappointed for Lily and Kane, too. The next morning, oh my gosh, Lily's walking around the hall in the athletic club or in the up near the rooms and she oh you know she just sees the prostitute out in the hallway like accepting money and alluding to the the fact that she's a prostitute and so lily calls the cops michael gets arrested in front of lauren in front of everyone in the middle of the athletic club oh i felt so humiliated for Lauren. Michael's trying to uh, play it stone-faced or stone-faced as if, um, you know, oh yeah, I had totally had sex with this prostitute. Yep, that's what I did. And I, I mean, Kane's the only one that seems to know better. He decides to try to get to the bottom of it. He goes to the police station and confronts Michael. And Michael does tell him that he didn't end up sleeping, that he didn't sleep with the prostitute, that he's just trying to push Lauren away. And if you're a good friend to Lauren, Kane, you're going to help her and help me do this because I, I can't, I can't deal with her right now. Kane goes back to Lauren and doesn't tell her that Michael didn't sleep with the prostitute. He just sort of is there for her and is comforting her. And I'm telling you right now, Kane, you better check yourself. You better check yourself. And and the the other thing, probably the final thing I don't understand here is why did Michael choose to Kane to why did he choose to try to push Lauren and Kane together and try to push Kane to be the one to comfort Lauren when Kane's a married man? Isn't that what all of Michael's recent behavior has really been about if we dig down to the nitty gritty of it? Lauren cheated on Michael. It devastated him. It made him question himself as a man. And now the cancer is finishing the job. Why would you intentionally, Michael, try to do the same thing to another couple? Okay, how, I didn't read any comments last week, so I've got two pages of comments <laughs> that I'm going to read this week. I think you guys are probably uh, even more eloquent than me. I fell off my game this week. I don't think I'm doing a good job of recapping, but uh, I'll, let, I'll let you guys speak for me here. Gary called into my voicemail and was commenting on Sharon and Dylan, and he said these types of romances are always fun when they're in the friendship phase, but once it gets acted upon, 
upon, it become the, the relationship becomes problem-laden and very soapy. Uh, Gary said, I'm going to miss the friendship of Dylan and Sharon. And I thought that was such a, a really eloquent way to put it, too, because I, I, I mean, I feel the same. I, I know that there's potential for a, Dar a Dylan and Sharon romance, but when she sent a text message to Avery, the friendship went away. The, the nice thing about Dylan and Sharon was that they were built on a friendship. And by her betraying him like that, it kind of negated the friendship and it based any relationship on a lie. So I'm, I'm just not happy about it. Um, and in fact, Connor called into my voicemail too and said, why can't Sharon get a good story? Sharon is always in desperate need of attention and of someone to save her. I don't want Dylan and Sharon to be together because it's just more of that. Um, and also said, Allie, how do you feel about this version of the character, this version of Sharon at this point? And I, I, I really, I agree. I feel exhausted by, uh, the, by the, the whiplash that we've gotten from this character. I, I miss... I miss the old Sharon. I, I, I miss Sharon being a good mom and being uh, a stable, sane person. Is it too much to ask that Sharon is just sane for a little bit? <laughs> I'm not saying I need her to be an angel, but it's, you know, she's just, they just really, it's like they use her for everything. And maybe it's because the actress is so good. Maybe they're just trying to really um, use her for every bit of awesomeness that she has. Because you have to admit, even though there's so much else going on on the show right now, we all end up talking about Sharon. <laughs> At the end of the day, everybody ends up just talking about Sharon. So, I mean, I guess it's 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 talkworthy. I just wanna, I just, I thought that we were coming to the end of a tunnel. I thought there was a bright spot in this Sharon and Dylan relationship, and now it just feels tainted to me. And I agree about Sharon always needing a man. It would be nice to see her independent. I don't. I guess in retrospect, we've really never seen that version of Sharon. It's what we're always asking for, but at the end of the day, when hasn't Sharon been with a man? When hasn't Sharon been relying on a man? Uh, about this whole murder mystery, uh, interesting comment from Jojo Owen on YouTube. I think Austin was doing his documentary, uh, and he discovered Nick's involvement in the dry, the diving incident, which uh, caused his high school girlfriend to become physically disabled. Her whole life, she has blamed Nick for her inability to find true love and wants him to somehow pay. She teams up with Austin to fake his death and thereby taking Nick's daughter, Summers, one true love away from her. Courtney's murder was real because she found out the truth somehow. Plus, she was also going to marry Noah, Nick's son. This girl also frames Sharon, who we all know is Nick's one true love, and the only glitch in this theory is who's working on the inside. Maybe she came over, uh, her, maybe she overcame her disability and is now a cop. Genoa City seems awfully big by the looks of all the still shots, so the force could certainly be that big. Um, yeah, you know, I guess if you think about it, everyone who suffered was a Newman. I mean, everyone who suffered a loss was a Newman. And the other thing about this comment that caught, that made my radar go up was I uh, was on a, the CBS Soaps and Depth website and I saw the casting update. We have a um, an actress named Sophia Pernis uh, in the role of mysterious beauty Marissa. She's described as stunningly beautiful and sensual, but also cool, icy, and removed. I think we have a cool, icy, and removed character named Victoria, but I'm curious 
curious to know about this Sophia, uh, this Sophia Pernis and this Marissa character, and I wonder if there's any chance that uh, that is going to tie in either to Austin's death or to maybe be this this uh, diving victim. I'm, I'm not sure. that They said she was scheduled to air in June, so we got a couple more weeks to go, but I wonder uh, what that might be. Uh, James Williams on Facebook says, I have a theory on the murders, and I don't know if it's been discussed here yet. Did everyone forget about Harding, the police officer? He was last seen on New Year's Eve. He kissed Abby at, at midnight. He would make sense because the killer had access to the police station and the computers. Harding hated Austin because he shot Paul and uh, did not do any time for it. He also did not care much for Courtney. Yes. Very good. Uh, and uh, he would also know how to plant fingerprints on the tire iron. It would make sense for YNR to make him the fall guy for the murders. Just my theory. I, I really like that, actually. Uh, except I wouldn't want him to be the, the fall guy. I'd kind of like him to bring back Detective Harding. But I never thought about I, that either. It's like, it's one of those things, though. It's like everybody has a motive. And at the end of the day, I just think Austin's alive. I can't, I can't let it go. <laughs> Uh, Beatrice left me a voicemail uh, this past week that kind of made me laugh about uh, that phone call from real Jack to fake Jack. She said, where's a good Bluetooth when you need one? Why couldn't Kyle have had like a speakerphone for that whole thing or something? Because uh, that would have been, it was so close yet so far. Um, Michael had left a voicemail and was... Uh, uh, saying, uh, talking about fake Jack, uh, and how the head injury that fake Jack got, they, you know, it was commented that it was very close to the spot where he previously had the head injury, and Michael was asking, was it fake Jack who was involved in the underground collapse, um, and Kelly and Victor had already made the switcheroo at that point? I think so. I actually do think it was f fake Jack who was involved in the underground collapse, because, I think it was earlier that night where Jack and Kelly slept together. That always seemed out of character for me. I, it never quite clicked as to why Jack would commit himself wholly to Phyllis, break up with Kelly, and then out of nowhere he just had that sort of rough sex with her in the in the the broom closet. To me, I always thought you know that was such a an uh, 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 insanely like volatile character switch. Um, that that seemed to me, um, in retrospect, like something that the, the fake Jack would have done, not the real Jack. But the question is still out. When did the switch happen? What does this head injury mean? Is fake Jack going to spill all? Is he even going to know who he is? And then there's also this part of me that wonders, is there any chance, any chance that, I mean, if there are two Jacks floating around out there, is there any way that the guy who's held up on the island with Kelly is actually fake Jack? And is there any chance that the guy who's in the hospital right now in Genoa City is the real Jack? And maybe it was uh, the, the head injury that was causing him to wear the crazy tie and partner up with Victor? I don't know. I mean, when there's twins... You never know. <laughs> um, let's see. Jillian Humphrey on Facebook says, Is it possible that the imposter Jack is Austin? Well, I think that's interesting, and I want to know if anybody else has considered that. and Or tell me more, Jillian. I want to hear about um, how, how the imposter Jack could be Austin. Interesting. Um, 
Shoot, shoot, shoot. Let's see. Uh, Bobby Thompson on Facebook says, just a thought. You mentioned a couple of times that the writers uh, are circling back to old storylines. Do you think they will ever mention the time Phyllis kissed Kyle to get him interested in her, rather her daughter? Imagine Phyllis kissing this version of Kyle. Just a thought. I kind of like that, too, because it's clear that Phyllis and Kyle are developing a little bit of a camaraderie there. Who knows? Um, rocks, 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 Grace on YouTube says, while I appreciate your enthusiasm for the mock wedding, and it is contagious to watch, I couldn't enjoy it myself because it was just such an out-of-character thing for Billy to do. This was a Victor or Adam move, not Billy's. I really like that comment because, um, you know, I enjoyed the wedding and all that. And I, I guess there's a part of me that kind of looks forward to maybe a, a slightly darker version of Billy. And I, I, I like the point that that's more something that Adam or Victor would do. But I also think that Billy is a selfish character. At the end of the day, Billy is always concerned about himself. And maybe that's what motivated it. I mean, I think back to Chelsea coming on the show. She was a con woman from the day she first stepped foot in Genoa City. And she was conning Billy. So I understand that uh, that sh the fact that she would have slept with somebody else could elicit some some rage, but Billy does uh, he is also quite impulsive. It does seem a little out of character that he would have sat on that information and decided to use it a little more maniacally. Uh, so I guess I did do kind of agree in that. Um, Lot Fally uh, went to YRChat.com and left a comment that said, "I have to agree to disagree with your take on Adam. His whole life." It's about compensating for his upbringing, striving to control those he can, and harming those he can't. That was very well said. I'm definitely biased. I'm always biased. Oh, and um, lastly, Aunt Daisy on Facebook said, I love that YNR won big at the daytime Emmys. Some of the cast were on the talk, and it was great to hear them enjoying the moment, and that's something that they truly deserve. So I didn't talk about the Emmys very much, but I just wanted to kind of mention that really quick uh, because, you know, it's like sometimes the stories and the writers drive me nuts, but, you know, over the large majority of the time, Time. I love our cast and I really think our actors bring it and they deserve to have that round of applause. So congratulations YNR on your Emmy wins. Okay, everybody, that does it for me. I hope that you guys enjoyed the show this week and that you leave me a comment. You can, if you're watching on YouTube, you can just leave a direct YouTube comment. If you're listening to the podcast, you can go to iTunes or, or anybody can call into the voicemail at 309-588-4569. Anybody can go to the website at yrchat.com. You can leave a comment there or you can go to the old Facebook or the old Twitter and leave comments there. I 100% I'm always reading I read every single comment um, and I enjoy every single comment you guys are awesome so bring it <laughs> okay everybody have a good week I love you and I'll see you next time bye